This is Jimmy Scroggins, and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Hey, welcome back to Church for the Rest of Us. Jimmy Scroggins here with my co-host, Leslie Bennett. And we're here and we're wrapping up our season on the power of the Neighborhood Church. We're broadcasting, as always, live from the Office Tower. That's right. <laughs> third floor of the Family Church Office building. Anyways, we're excited, Leslie, because we've got a really awesome guest today. We do. Plus, it's 2023 and our conference is getting closer. So I do wanted to mention that you can register for our Church for the Rest of Us conference at churchfortherestofus.com. We'd look forward to seeing you in March. But today, why don't you just tell us, you know our I, guest better than I do. I do so. so Vance Pittman is with us today. He is the president of the SEND Network, and he's the founding pastor of Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. He's also the author of Unburdened, Stop Living for Jesus So Jesus Can Live Through You, and The Stressless Life, Experiencing the Unshakable Presence of God's Indescribable Peace. Vance is a seasoned church planner. He's now the leader of the largest church planning organization in North America, and he is my personal friend and just a great brother. So, Vance, I'm really glad that you're here. Yeah, I feel like I sort of want to not talk about church planning and talk about your book, The Stressless Life, Vance, but um, I think we're going to talk about neighborhood church. So, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself personally, anything else you'd like to share that we haven't already shared with them? First of all, let me just say I'm honored to be here with you guys. Jimmy, I've known Jimmy and I've known each other for a number of years and I mean, just feel like a brother from another mother, you know, just so many, every time we talk, I feel like the affinity, the shared DNA, the passion is so just there. And I just love what God's done there in your fellowship in South Florida and your passion to multiply the church. So there's just a lot of affinity there. So I'm really honored to be with you guys today. You told kind of my story. I moved to Vegas in 2000, sensing the call from God for my family. We'd never been west of the Mississippi River. We didn't know anybody in Vegas. But you had never been west of God. the Mississippi River? No, never been west of the Mississippi River, man. <laughs> I'd never been outside of the part of the country where you could order sweet tea and biscuits and people knew what you were talking about. Yeah. I'm from that part of the country where amen is a four-syllable word. And when I moved to Vegas, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. But brought a team here and 22 years you know, here, God did an unbelievable work. Let us see a church born that has 54 languages, much like your church. They're multi-ethnic, multicultural, 54 languages in our church. Baptized about 5,000 people into our fellowship in 22 years. I have had the privilege of planting 80 churches out of our church up and down the West Coast. And then last year, took another step of faith in this journey where Kevin Ezell asked me to lead Sin Network. And I've been a part of working with Sin Network for 11 years. It's all of its history. But last year, took that step and really completed the missionary cycle. I came to Vegas as a missionary. And the last step of the missionary cycle is to raise up indigenous leadership so that the church can continue. The ministry can flourish into the future generations. So a young man that had been with me for 15 years, he's now 35 years old, installed him as the senior pastor of hope. He's now my pastor and I'm sent out kind of like Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13. I'm now sent out of our church as a missionary to work with Sin Network. Still get to preach at hope four or five times a year, but I'm a missionary out of the fellowship to lead Sin Network to see North America reached with the gospel. So, yeah, that's kind of my story, and that's where I am. Hey, tell us a little bit about your family. Tell us about uh, yep. if you are married, you have children. Yeah, and, you know, it's crazy because, you know, I moved here 
22 years ago as the young church planting guy. And now I'm the grandfather. So I've been married. My wife and I've been married for 30 years. We have four children that are all now adults. Our youngest is in college getting her degree. Three of ours are married. We have three grandchildren and a fourth coming here any day now. So yeah, man, life is great. We are very, very blessed. I could not it's awesome. When you move to a place like Vegas to plant a church, the thing that you never really know is, man, what does that mean for your family? Because, I mean, I had people from, you come to Vegas from Alabama, where I'm from, people don't go to Las Vegas. And if they do, they don't tell anybody. That's so right. As soon as I yeah. told people I'm moving to Vegas, everybody's like, what are you going to do? How are you going to raise your kids in that city? Because when you're from Alabama, you think everybody in Vegas is either a mobster or a prostitute. You don't realize that real people live here. It's a city of now 2.7 million people, million tourists a week. But my kids have grown up on the mission field and they've grown up watching Jesus do what only Jesus can do in a place like Vegas. And so now all four of our kids, man, they walk with God. They're using their job, skill and passion and family, leveraging it for the sake of the kingdom. They're engaged in the mission. They love the church. They love Jesus. They love their families. So, man, we could not be more blessed. The greatest decision for our family we ever made was to follow the will of God on this journey of planting churches. And it's been quite a ride. Now, now Vance, you grew up kind of watching and being a part of ministry. Talk a little bit about how you grew up. Yeah, I grew up. My mom and dad were first generation Christians. So I don't come from a long line of Christians. My mom and dad both were led to Christ in Baptist churches by student ministries. My dad had a Baptist deacon that lived across the street from him that when he was 11 years old, started taking him to church. And my mom and dad came to Christ and then they met around college and my mom and dad married and my dad surrendered to ministry. So I grew up in a pastor's home. I'm not one of those kids that grew up hating the church because I grew up in a pastor's home. My mom and dad were not perfect people, but they were the same imperfect people at home that they were at church. They didn't put on a show. They didn't put on a facade. They lived an authentic gospel life in front of me. And my dad, we were in a small town. I grew up in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, town of 12,000. But my dad pastored a church and ran over a thousand. He took it from 80 people to over a thousand people. So we were the biggest church in the city. Just being a part of our youth group made me popular in, in our town. So I didn't hate the church, but I also didn't understand really the gospel. I knew church. I knew the gospel, but it wasn't until I was a freshman in college that I began a relationship with Jesus. I you know, prayed the prayer, got baptized when I was a kid, but church was just a part of my life. It was just something I did. And it wasn't until a freshman in college that I came to know Christ personally and God began to change my life. And because I'd grown up in church, I made a mistake early on in my Christian journey. And I confused spiritual maturity with spiritual activity. Mm. It's that classic Henry Blackaby line where he says, if we're not careful, we assume we were saved for a task to perform rather than for a relationship to enjoy. And that was kind of my Christianity as it started. And it took about a decade of me walking with Jesus to really break out of that. And discover the totality of the impact of the gospel in my life and the freedom that I have for Christ to live his life through me and not have to perform for him. But yeah, that's kind of my journey. And it really is what shaped my coming to plant a church in Vegas was part of that brokenness and God breaking those chains of legalism and religion for me versus the real authentic power of the gospel. All right. So now tell me about, did you already know your whole life that you wanted to be in vocational ministry? And how did that happen? (laughs) Just the opposite. Like my dad, again, I didn't have a bad experience in church. I'm not one of those angry preacher's kids. I loved the church. I just wanted to make more money than my dad made. So I didn't hate the church, but I did not want to do ministry. I did not see that as my life at all. I went to college majoring 
in radio, television, and film. I wanted to do radio. Every time I get to do something like this, I'm like geeking out because <laughs> this was like what I was You're living to do. your life, my man. First, my first <clears throat> full time job, I was a 30 hour a week on air personality on a radio station. And so I loved radio. And probably if I'd done what I wanted to do, I'd have wound up in some type of sports radio, sports broadcasting. So I went to school to do that. And it was while I was in college that I, I said a minute ago, I came to know Christ as a freshman in college. I'd kind of rebelled. I wasn't like this open outward, but my own in my private life with a close circle of friends, I really ran far. I'd do the church thing on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, partying, drinking girls, you know, all that other stuff was a part of my life. And because I'd been taught the gospel, I reached a point as a freshman in college of just complete misery. I had this hole inside of me. I was trying to fill with everything but the gospel and found an emptiness and I wound up beside my bed in my apartment in, in, in Alabama at school, just saying, Lord, I know you're the only answer. And I surrendered the control of my life to Christ. To be honest, I didn't even know I'd gotten saved. I thought I'd been saved when I was a kid. It took several months for me to realize what had actually happened in my life. But it was after being born again that I began to read the word, not because it's what you do to be a good Christian. I wanted to know this God I just met. And it was on that journey of that relationship that he began to stir in me this passion to teach and preach others. But I never saw myself, even as a public speaker in front of people, I took a communications class when I was in college and I failed one of the classes because I just was so hesitant to get in front of a class of 30 people and mm -hmm. talk in front of a crowd. Like I wouldn't do that, which people hear that they're like, oh, you're making that up. But <laughs> preaching and teaching God's word is a spiritual enablement. It's a supernatural grace gift given by the Holy Spirit of God. That's not my natural wiring. And so, no, I did not want that. It wasn't what I pursued, but it was in college that it became evident to me that if I did anything but that, I'd be living in disobedience to the Lord. So I had to have a real moment of surrender my second year of college when I surrendered everything. I had to change my major, went and got a major in history and a minor in business management just so I could get to seminary to prepare for ministry. So, no, it was not my dream, not my aspiration, did not think is what I was going to be doing, but wouldn't change it for anything. I got one more question before we get into the neighborhood church stuff. My other question is, what were you doing in ministry before you went to Vegas? Yeah. So I had been in ministry for 10 years. I did seven years of student ministry. And then I did, it's about, about 11 years, seven years, of six and a half years of student ministry, three and a half years. I pastored my first church when I was in seminary. It was a church when I went there around about 250, 300 people in a town of 4,000. It exploded. We baptized over 300 people into our church, ran over 600 in worship in this town of 4,000 people. But it was very controlled by a group of deacons that led to a power struggle, wound up knocking my teeth out <laughs> and forcing me to leave. And really, at that point, it was when God began to really unravel this whole thing of I'd been trying to do so much for Jesus. I didn't realize Jesus just wanted me. And it was in that brokenness when I'd been so consumed with trying to do ministry that I discovered that Jesus was enough and that I could just simply rest in him. And it was in resting in him that I moved back. My family moved back to Memphis where my dad was a pastor and my dad's church hired me because I didn't have anything else to do. And it was in that journey of simply pursuing Christ in the Gospels, trying to understand what it looked like for his life to live his life through me, that I read Luke 4 one morning where Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And I saw in Jesus this passion for the kingdom and other cities. 
And I'd never even thought about that before. Up until that moment, if my church was good, I was good. Like if the church was healthy, if the church was growing, the offerings were good, I was good. I didn't care about my city. I didn't care about my community. But I saw this passion in Jesus for the kingdom to be expanded in other cities. And it just convicted me. My wife and I, we knelt down, we prayed in our living room that morning and said, Lord, we don't know where, we don't know when, but the answer is yes. We thought we're going to the other side of the world to plan our lives in some country or culture. Two weeks later, First Woodstock reaches out and says, we feel led of the Lord to start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and God's put it on our heart. You're to be the pastor of that church. So two weeks earlier, we said yes. Two weeks later, God had the audacity <laughs> to fill up the blank with Vegas. And there's the last 22 years of my life. So we get to the place where you're planting your first church, moving to a place where you don't know anybody. So when we talk yeah. about neighborhood church, we're talking about a place where someone has a passion to reach that place. So tell us what it was like as you planted yourself in Vegas and how you went about planting your church and reaching your community. Well, to be honest, church planning prepared me more to answer the question you just asked than anything I'd done in my previous 11 years of ministry, because I said something a minute ago that I think is key to this conversation. Too many churches think church first. We think the church is the goal. We think that everything's about the health, the growth, the development, the success of the local church. And when you think about church planning, I want you to think about it, if you can, with three boxes, one on top of the other. The top box says plant a church. The middle box says make disciples. And the bottom box says engage the city with the gospel. Most church planning teaches you to do it just like that. You go in, you find a school, you plant a church. You find a movie theater, you plant a church. Then you try to make disciples, second box, out of the people that are coming so that you can ultimately establish ministries to engage the city with the gospel. The problem with that strategy, even though it's what 99% of what's taught in the world of church planning, is it's biblically and missiologically upside down. Jesus never said, go start churches. He said, go into all the cities, go among the peoples, go to the ethnos and make disciples. So when I came to Vegas, the first realization I hit was we didn't have a church. Like there was nobody to preach to. There was no, we couldn't sing. We could, there was nothing. We had no church. <laughs> Vance so actually can sing. Think. I want you to know that because I was standing <laughs> next to him not too long ago in a conference and he sings really well. All right. He's a good oh, singer. Come on, man. No, you're uh, a good singer. I, you are. Well, we'll leave that to my wife. But yeah. the reality is I had to think about the city first and how do you engage a city with the gospel? And so we started doing things that would just think like missionaries. Like, for mm. example, I'd never thought coaching Little League Baseball was spiritual. Like that wasn't spiritual. As a matter of fact, I made people feel guilty about coaching Little League Baseball so they could come do visitation programs at the church. I get to Vegas, and the only way I know how to meet people is take my sons and start coaching Little League Baseball. The first 13 families I led to Christ in Vegas, I led to Christ coaching Little League Baseball. I didn't realize that the streams of culture that we live in, sports, medicine, education, business, are the very rhythms of life that we can engage people with that build relationships that allow the gospel to walk from my life into their life. So we begin to look for ways either like I had families that relocated here from other churches to be a part of our church plan. They said, what do we do? They're wanting to start children's choirs. I'm like, we don't even have a church. What do you mean start children's choir? I said, they said, what do you want us to do? I said, here's what I want you to do. Get a job at Home Depot, build relationships with the people that come in the store, invite them to your home and start having dinner. We just began to look for ways relationally 
or intentionally by going and, and serving businesses in the community. We had a lot of these startup businesses and these strip malls. And so we'd go in and we'd wash windows. We would vacuum floors. We just looked for ways to begin to build relationships because the gospel, Jesus called us to an incarnational ministry where we're to go, we're to live our lives. And I love that Matthew 28 says, go make disciples, but the go is not the emphasis. The emphasis is to make disciples. It's literally as you go, as you live your life in the city, as you live in your neighborhood, as you live in your community, be intentional about cultivating those relationships to have gospel conversations that lead to disciple making. All right. So as you're doing that, you move to Vegas, you're doing this. It sounds to me like you see your family as an outpost for the kingdom of Jesus Christ in Vegas. And as you serve your community and make disciples, you did eventually form an organizational church. And there is power in that. 100%. So what happens is there is no planting of churches. It's just we don't start with the church and then make disciples so we can engage the city. We start with the city like Paul in Philippi. He goes into Philippi begins to meet people around the riverbank, leads them to faith in Christ, is taking them in the cities to share the gospel. And when you begin to engage the city, disciples are made and then churches are born. Jesus told us to go make disciples. And here's what he said, excuse me, I will build my church. And what's happened is we've taken the responsibility of planting churches when that's not what he called us to do. There was a a statement that came out, I think it's probably in the 70s, 80s in the church where every member a minister. And it was really emphasizing this idea that we all have gifts to use in the body. And that's true, but it short sells what we really are. The reality is every member a missionary. Mm -hmm. The church is a fellowship on mission. And every believer not only has gifts to use inside the body of Christ, every member is called to live on mission. And that's why disciple making is so important. When you understand that mission is who Jesus is then living as a missionary is not a missionary issue. It's a Christ-likeness issue in my own heart. To the degree that I'm allowing Jesus to live his life through me, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to live on mission. Because if you look at Jesus in the Gospels, how many times is he with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman? He's with Zacchaeus. He's with Nicodemus. He's always engaging people through his rhythm of life that are far from God so that his life draws them into fellowship relationship with the father. And that's exactly what he desires to do through us. So my family as the pastor and planter, before I'm a pastor and planter, we're missionaries in a city that are engaging that city with the gospel. Like you said, as a kingdom outpost. And as we make disciples, every member of our fellowship becomes a missionary in the city, understanding they're to use their job, skill, and passion where they live, work, and play to join in the mission of God. All right. So as you're doing that now, you have this incarnational ministry approach that you're trying to do with your own family. You're trying to pull new disciples in and existing disciples into this framework. But listening to this podcast, there are a lot of pastors who already are in an existing church. So they're in a situation. A lot of them are in small towns. Some of them are in medium sized and smaller churches. And so, Vance, you know, you work with a lot of revitalizations and what you do. You guys have a lot to do with even training smaller churches to be sending churches. So how can somebody who says, man, I don't have a ton of resources. I don't have a ton of talent. I don't have a ton of money. How could somebody like that say, but you, you know, what would you say to them about them being a neighborhood incarnational outpost? I want to talk about that from the micro and the macro level. Mm -hmm. At the micro level. It begins by starting to disciple your people to understand 
that where they live, where they work and where they play is a mission field. Like the job that you have, you have it because God put you there to be an outpost for the kingdom. The house that you live in, the apartment that you rent, you're there, not by coincidence. God put you there to live on mission. And so at the micro level, you have to begin to disciple people. And one of the things like a pastor could do, like one of the things we did at Hope when we were just starting, we were a small church. We created a, what we called a personal touch tip sheet. It was about 25 different ways that you can begin to serve your neighbors, your coworkers, the people where you go to the gym. You can begin to connect with them and build relationships that will allow you to have gospel conversations. So at the micro level, it's about discipling individual believers to understand your life matters and your life lives on mission. At the macro level, you begin to, as the church, figure out ways that you can engage your city together. And here's a practical tip. I teach every church planner, every city in America, doesn't matter if it's a city of 5,000 or 5 million. At your city office, there's a position called the city manager. The city manager has a list of items on their desk that are problems in the city. And I promise you, they do not have enough resources to fix all of those problems. Some of those problems address the desires of God for that city. For example, some of those problems would be like homelessness, human trafficking, foster care, education. All of those things are things that God cares about in his word. One of those things is going to be something that your church is uniquely gifted to address. Our church in Las Vegas, when we started, we had a lot of educators and we had people that were involved in the foster care community. So there were two needs that our city had that also were desires of God for our city that he uniquely wired us to step into those lanes and begin to address those situations. So you can go to your city manager's office, find one of those things, and how you find out who you are, you can do a survey in your church. We do a survey in our church every year, about every 18 months, where we find out what occupations are represented in our city so that we know how God's wired us as a church to serve in our city, who we have in our fellowship that we can mobilize to engage and meet needs. So you go to the city manager, you find one of those problems, and you as a church own it. And rather than being a parasite, in your neighborhood that wants free everything, tax breaks, discounts. You become a partner in your community and in your neighborhood so that you begin to be seen by your neighborhood as a valuable part of the community. And that need that you meet opens the door for gospel conversation. Let me quickly tell you a quick story, Jimmy. When we started our church, again, we were really small. We didn't have a lot of money. Education was one of the issues. We had a school that hadn't been touched in 25 years. Like they still had chalkboards with holes in them, not dry erase board. I'm talking chalkboards. We wanted to meet that need. It was a problem in our city. We wanted to refurbish that school. We went to businesses in the city, Benjamin Moore Paints and others. Businesses donated a quarter of a million dollars worth of supplies. Our church didn't spend a dime. All we had to do was bring volunteers. I brought in some mission teams and I mobilized the 150, 200 people that we had in our fellowship. We went over there, spent three months, refurbished this school, and the administrator of the school was living a homosexual lifestyle. When we first went over there and said, we want to serve your school, he was like, no way. There's no way I'm letting a church do this. We just kept saying, we want to do this. We want to do this. He let us. By the end of it, Jimmy, he asked for a stack of my business cards. <laughs> he said, I didn't even know anybody cared about schools like mine anymore. 
and I got families that have got issues I can't meet. Are you okay if I send families to your church hmm. to get answers to their questions? So now I got a guy living a lifestyle that's so far from God, inviting people to our church, yeah. giving out our business yeah. cards. Here's how the story ends. We got to serve that school for years. About a year after we did that refurbishing with his school, that gentleman contracted a disease. He was dying. He calls me. I go to his hospital bed. I spent about three hours sitting in his bed with him. He gives his life to Christ. He dies. I get to be a part of his funeral. Here's a guy that would have never responded to an invite card to come to a church service. But because we built a relationship that didn't cost us a dime, we just mobilized resources from businesses in the community, mobilized our people. We got to not only see him come to Christ, we got to minister to dozens and dozens and dozens of families coming out of hardship that they would have never visited our church. But because we met them where they live, it opened a door for gospel conversations. That's such a powerful story. I love that. Is that something that you talked to your, when you planted other churches, you said you planted 80 churches out of your church. Is this like a strategy that you employed or was there other things that you did to plant churches and revitalize churches? We teach all of our planters, and now we're doing this at Sin Network, that paradigm where you go in and you start with a city, and your focus is to make disciples and let God birth his church. Don't be driven by, here's our launch date. Be driven by when God births enough disciples, where you have enough disciples to effectively carry out a weekend gathering, let God birth his church. Be driven by the activity of God and not arbitrary dates that we set. So we teach all of our planters to go in and think like missionaries, to engage their city with the gospel, to live in those streams of culture, begin to make disciples, multiply groups, and let God birth his church. I think that's so awesome because I think every single thing Vance has said, Leslie, any pastor of any church, even if you've been there a long time, if you're brand new, if you're planting, every one of those strategies and principles that Vance is saying are things that all of us could embrace and employ and maybe help some of us even reframe how we're thinking about our existing churches. I think that would be really, really good. Hey, Vance, thanks so much for your time. I know your time is valuable. I want to commend Send Network to you. Vance, how could our listeners connect with Send Network if they're interested in revitalization, church planting, becoming a sending church? How could they connect with Send Network? Yeah, you can do that. You can email us. You can just, if you just Google SEND, S-E-N-D network, you'll see us online. And we have resources there about where we're involved in planting. If you're a church that wants to be mobilized, we'd love to help you. Churches plant churches. Networks don't. Denominations don't. Churches plant churches. You are the tip of the spear to seeing churches multiplied. And the real goal is not the church being planted. The goal is the kingdom being expanded in cities and nations. But the only tool Jesus gave us to do that is the multiplication of the local New Testament church. It is his tool for the expansion of his kingdom in cities and nations. So we'd love to connect with you and partner with you any way we can. All right, I commend that to you. We're a part of Send Network. They're a big blessing to our church and a big accelerator for our strategy and what we're trying to do in South Florida and around the world. Hey, Vance, thanks again for your time. It's awesome hearing from you every single time. Like Leslie said from the beginning to all of our listeners, we would love to meet all of you in person. You're doing to reach your neighborhood. We would like to learn from you. So I would love all of our listeners, if you can, go ahead and join us. Sign up now for our One Day Church for the Rest of Us conference on March the 2nd, 2023. It's cold where you are. It'll be awesome where we are. Come see us in March first week. Register today, churchfortherestofus.com. Again, I'm Jimmy Scroggins signing off for Leslie Bennett and Vance Pittman, Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church. 
for the rest of us.